the thing that I've discovered with business and money is if you focus on contribution, if you focus on really putting your client first and their gift first and their potential and the way that they can in turn gift other people, money actually becomes a byproduct rather like oxygen is a byproduct to you know doing sport welcome to the thought leader revolution with nikki baloo join the revolution there's never been a better time in history to speak your truth find your freedom and make your fortune each week we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice this episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. This gentleman is a close and dear friend of one of my longstanding friends, clients, and mentors, Raymond Aaron. He belongs to an exclusive organization with Raymond called the Transformational Leadership Council, which was created by the legendary Jack Canfield, who is the founder and the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. This gentleman has written a brand new best-selling book. His name is Arjuna Arda. Welcome to the show, Arjuna. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be with you. The pleasure, my friend, is all mine. Arjuna, our listener is a coach, is a consultant. They listen to the show because they want to grow their business and they want to learn from you, our expert guest, how they can do this. They want to know your backstory. Tell us your backstory. Hmm. Well, Nikki, you know, the rocket fuel that really got me going in what I do was good old suffering, you know, <laughs> suffering <laughs> and neurosis. So uh, I was born, I would say, into an above-average neurotic family. I mean, everyone has their struggles, but my family was really exceptionally neurotic. Uh, so there was suicide in my family, mental illness, all kinds of stuff. And so by the time I got to be a teenager, really, I realized that even psychotherapy was too dilute. You know, I, I, I was going to need serious, serious, like, personality transplant in order to be able to just survive. And really, that was what fueled my interest in really the more kind of, you could say, extreme or radical forms of transformation. And I spent a lot of my life exploring how to transform what has been handed to you as a genetic inheritance and to turn it into conscious practice. And that's really become my expertise now in working with people is I have, by having experimented with so many things myself, I found I'm able to help people find just the right practice that brings forth their greatest gifts. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. So let's dig into it a little bit deeper. So you've done this. How did you turn it into a business and a successful business, so successful that the great Jack Canfield asked you to join his elite transformational leadership circle. Hmm. You know, what I've learned, Nikki, about money and business is that it works best when it's a byproduct. When your primary focus is on making a contribution, and when your primary focus is on tuning into your clients to really, to actually, you know, deeply love them enough that you really want them to flower. I sometimes say to my coaching graduates, I've trained 2000 coaches, and I sometimes say to people, you know, coaching is just a front, you know, you know, a front business, like in the times of um, prohibition, when Absolutely. alcohol was when alcohol was illegal, you'd have this little room in the back that was where they were selling the alcohol, but then there'd be a front business, a business in the front, which was actually just fake. So I often, sometimes I tell people, 
coaching is just a front for love. It's just, you can't go to an executive and say, you can pay me to love you. It's too weird. So you tell them that you're gonna, they're gonna pay you to coach them to create magnificent results. But what you're really doing is loving them enough that it brings forth their greatest gift. So the thing that I've discovered with business and money is if you focus on contribution, if you focus on really putting your client first and their gift first and their potential and the way that they can in turn gift other people, money actually becomes a byproduct rather like oxygen is a byproduct to you know, doing sport. I mean, when you do sport, you're not thinking, I want more oxygen, I want more oxygen, I want more oxygen. You're focusing on playing the game and kicking the ball and scoring a goal. But as a result of doing all that, your body gets oxygenated as a byproduct. And what I've noticed with really all the people I know for whom money is simply not an issue, you see that there's, there's one condition of money that you don't have enough. You know, you don't have enough money and you're struggling. And that's, that's, Everybody knows that's a horrible place to be. There's another condition that you could be in, which I would call addiction to money. In other words, you just keep thinking, how can I get more? How can I get more? How can I get more? But however many yachts and cars and big houses you have, it still leaves this empty hole. And there's another relationship to money you can have where you live in perpetual gratitude. You live in perpetual awe that your life is so good. And that, I would say, is a happy, healthy relationship to money where it's flowing on its own. And that I would say is the byproduct of devoting your life to making a contribution to people. When did this realization come to you? And, and how long did it take you to be able to live from this? Mm. And what have been the results? Wow, these are great questions. Well, hopefully we're going to get a chance later in, in our conversation to talk about the brilliant cycle. And then some of what I say now will make sense. But I don't really feel, Nikki, that I or anyone is in mastery of what I've just said. In fact, it might even be foolish to try and claim to be in mastery. We all of us have parts of our psyche that live in self-interest. We all of us do. It's just part of life. You can't, it's, there's no need to judge it or anything. We all of us have, sim simply we have, you know, we get hungry, we want to eat. We get horny, we want to randomly have sex. You know? I mean, in, in your mind at least, you know. Never. Uh, well, I'm just saying, I'm in your mind, you know. Uh, and you get, you know, and, and, and then you want more for me. I want more. It's like, you know, the, the Beatles, the Beatles back in 1968, they wrote a song called Little Piggies that was on the White Album, you know, and it was really about greed, you know. So we all of us have parts of us that are run by self-interest. How can I get more for me? And I don't think there's any reason to judge that. In the same way, there's no reason to judge yourself for being hungry and wanting to eat. But you can also realize that there is another part of you, maybe I would say a deeper part of you, that is not fueled by self-interest, that's actually fueled by generosity and contribution. And most of us, we discover that part if you are lucky enough to be a father or a mother or a father or a parent. Now, I don't know you yet personally, Nikki. I, I have two I'll, sons. Two sons, Ten great. and twelve. Exactly. So you know all about what it's like to have a relationship that is free of self-interest, right? You're not, you don't enter into exchanges with your children, I imagine. You, know, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. you. You give and you give and you give and it becomes an incredibly fulfilling relationship. But what you get back from parenting is really indirect. It's not that you do something for them and they do something for you. Would that be correct? Absolutely, 1,000%. Yeah. And actually with parenting, you get the joy of parenting by giving in a really unconditional and free way. And I, and I, I also have two sons. They're, they're bigger than yours now. They're grown up. But I was a single father for some of that time. I had a kind of gap between marriages. And during the time I was a single father, really it trained me to think very little about my own needs. I had to think most of the time about their needs at the same time as coaching and teaching. And that really taught me a trick because that force of circumstance that really required me to be thinking about other people, it, it opened a portal to 
what it's like to be really fulfilled and to have a life of meaning and love. But coincidentally, money flows much easier when that is your focus. And I think that's true for any, particularly for a coach, you know, if you want to, this may be a little ironic, but I would say if you want to build a successful business as a coach, don't think about building a successful business as a coach. (laughs) If you want to make a lot of money as a coach, don't think about making a lot of money as a coach. Think about how you can make the greatest contribution. And when you meet people, focus into the greatest contribution you can make to those people. And if you are sincere enough about wanting to make that contribution to the right people, they will want to pay you. And and, and people will want to pay you probably a lot more than you can imagine receiving on your own. It's not that you will get all the money you want. Money will cease to be a preoccupation. You'll be free of it. And when you're free of money, money happens on its own and your life becomes full of gratitude. Fascinating. I'm sitting here and listening to you and I intuitively get that what you're saying has truth embedded in it. And, <laughs> and, and yet, there's far too many people in our industry, in the coaching industry, who come out and say, well, I'm not doing this for the money. And it's almost like they're in a kumbaya space. And they go out there and they give their gifts and they pay no attention to the business end of things and they make no money and they're, they're starving. You know, so how do you reconcile those two? How do you deal with the tension between those two? Mm, mm. Well, Nikki, first of all, let me emphasize, I'm just one dude, right? So, you asked me a question, you know, about how things are for me. And I'm just answering you honestly that this is how it is for me, that, that I focus on, my life is really focused on contribution and the people I work with closely, all my clients are focused on contribution and the small circle of coaches I mentor now, they are focused on contribution. This may not be a one-size-fits-all formula. This may not be the answer for everybody. Mm. But I have noticed, you see, I, I, you know, you mentioned Jack Canfield. And so I know Jack quite well. But even better than Jack Canfield, I know John Gray extremely well. John Gray wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Sure, I know who he is. Yeah. And he and I are like best buds. I mean, we wrote a book together called Conscious Men, where we actually, we literally wrote it together. It's not like he wrote a chapter and I wrote a chapter. We actually sat down in the same room and wrote the whole book together. And so that's that's awesome. That was a quite a dance. So John, um, John is someone who, for whom money is constantly flowing in large amounts, but I've learned a lot from being around him because he doesn't think about money. I, I, I've, I've been around John for 10 years fairly closely. You know, we've been on holiday together. We do a lot of things together. I've never once heard him do anything for the reason of money. I've never heard him say, I'm going to do this so I can get more money. I've heard him vision bigger and bigger and bigger ways to make a contribution, bigger and bolder ways to really make an impact. And I've been lucky, you know, to know so many people who play on a huge level. And it's all about holding a bigger and bigger space for how to make a contribution. And then money flows. You know, if if you, if you set the intention of coaching people to change the world. And that's, you, you, you probably know a little about setting client avatars, right? I'm sure you, you talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we do. Yeah. So I'm a great believer in that. You know, when I, when I work with coaches, I, I, right now I'm, I'm doing a one-year program just with 12 coaches because I really want to see them all thrive. And I, I don't find I can really mentor people properly with more than 12. So uh, I really encourage them to get really detailed about their client avatar. You know, like, like you know, what car does this person drive? You know, is it a man or a woman? How many children have they got? How old are they? What magazines do they read? What websites do they go to? To really flesh it out so it becomes a really, really detailed picture. And encourage people to do that five times, to create five client avatars and get really, really detailed. And for me, I'm clear, not exactly for, not primarily for financial reasons, but because I'm aware that time's going by and I'm not going to live forever, I only work with coaching clients 
who have a global vision and a capacity to make a difference globally. I'm very clear about it. You know, that I, I like one of my clients right now, when I met him and started coaching with him, he had a senior position at the World Health Organization, but his vision of transforming medicine was even bigger than the World Health Organization. So he resigned from the World Health Organization and we're working on this huge global project. And, and that's part of my avatar. You see, the, the avatars that I created a couple of years ago, I was very clear, I wanna work with people who have the capacity to change the game for everybody. And as a result, although it was not the motivation, people like that, they don't have an issue paying for coaching because they're paying for value. It's, it's obvious the value that I'm providing is worth quite a lot. And so consequently, the result is I don't have to think about money, you see. But that's because my life is focused on using the remaining years of my life. I'm 61 now. Using the remaining years of my life to have the greatest impact on the people who can have the greatest impact. And if you do that, if you think that way, money happens. Now, now, again, let me just emphasize, this is just my perspective. I'm sure some people will just not want to hear that or it doesn't resonate. No, no the, like I said, I believe there's a lot of truth embedded in what you're saying. And in fact, when we work with clients, we tell them, look, I'm a good salesman. Mm -hmm. I, I venture to say I'm actually a very good salesman. Mm -hmm. If all I was interested in was making money, Mm. I go work for a hedge fund and mm -hmm. I've got the kind of personality and drive that I could get in and, and make it happen. And I'd make billions. Mm. I'm clear mm -hmm. on that. The idea of doing that shrivels up my soul. Exactly. Nothing wrong with hedge funds. Hedge funds right. are cool, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm just saying that's, that's just how it feels for me. I do what I do yeah. because I love entrepreneurs. Yeah. My father was a business owner. My mother is a, yeah. a professional salesperson in real estate. And, yeah. you know, I believe that whenever I help an entrepreneur become the best version of themselves, and right now I'm choosing to work with coaches and consultants, what I'm actually doing is I'm helping, serving them, I'm serving their families, I'm serving the people that they impact, and I'm strengthening the free enterprise system. And I am a, a huge believer in the free enterprise system. And I believe that this is a philosophical discussion, but that the free enterprise system in many ways is under assault. And the mm -hmm. more people we have who are stakeholders and successful stakeholders, the stronger it will be able to withstand those assaults. So mm -hmm. to me, this is a holy mission. You know, yeah. I don't go around talking about it to my clients or to my prospects, but that's why I do what I do. You right. Know, um, but I'm also really clear that I want to make money and I want my mm -hmm. clients to make money. For mm -hmm. many of my clients, the lack of money has been a, a serious problem, a mm -hmm. problem that has stopped them from being able to contribute at the level that they ought to be able to contribute at, mm -hmm. a problem that stopped them from taking care of their family at the level that mm -hmm. they really want to. There's mm -hmm. a part of them that might be asking themselves, do I have what it takes? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I yeah. want to help them answer that question with a resounding yes. You have what yeah. it takes. You deserve it. A good person like you should be able to have good mentors like me and my team help you win. So I believe that what you're saying is truth. I believe you must focus on contribution if you really want to make a difference and feel good about yourself. And if you want to make money, you got to focus on contribution because if you don't contribute, people aren't going to pay you, at least not for long, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. But I also am just wondering because I see so many people in our industry who pretend like money doesn't matter at all and then they don't make any of it. And I can, I can, I can see the pain and the stress in these yeah. people as well. So, yeah. and I see there's a tension between these two. You know what I mean? Money is important. You know, and, and we live in a, in, a, in a society where without money, it's like oxygen, right? Yeah. Um, and, and yet, focusing on money to the exclusion of a contribution, that doesn't work either. You know, it's not good for the soul and it's not good for business. Right. So my mm -hmm. question for you is, how do we reconcile the tension between these two? Well, okay. Does There's that actually, make sense? Yes, sure. So 
there has actually been a lot of interesting work done, both philosophically and psychologically, in the resolution of tension or paradox. You know, it's it's it, what you're talking about is is two opposing values, which 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 require resolution. Some of the best work, kind of philosophically, you could say, and sociologically on the resolution of tension was done by a man called Gregory Bateson, who wrote a book in the 20th century called Towards an Ecology of Mind. Hmm. And uh, it's a brilliant, incredibly brilliant book, quite difficult to read. So he he developed a concept called the double bind, which is actually very instrumental to the brilliant cycle. I'm very aware of the double bind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I learned that when I studied NLP. Right. Well, Gregory Bateson was one. So Bandler and Grinder, who created NLB, Gregory Bateson was one of the four influences. It was Virginia Satir, yes. Fritz Perls, uh, Milton Erickson, and Gregory Bateson. So That's where the, no, I'd heard the name. You're right. My goodness. Thank you for reminding me of those folks. Yes. Okay. So double bind. So what Gregory Bateson said is that life evolves through double bind. So we are, when we move through life, Either we're escaping life, or if we fully face life, we are going to be faced with seemingly, seemingly irreconcilable conflicts of value, right? A value conflict. And what he stated was, you can't resolve that conflict within the state of consciousness in which it exists. When you're faced with a double bind, you have to transcend it, right? In other words, you have to actually evolve to a higher level of integration where both of those ends of the polarity coexist. And there's lots of examples, a lot of interesting historical examples of how this happened. And one of the most famous is, is, the, is Shakespeare's play Hamlet, where, you know, this is the ultimate statement of a double bind was Hamlet saying to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler to suffer in the mind the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of trouble and by opposing end them. We don't need to go into what all that means exactly, but he's talking about the conflict between action and contemplation. And, and this is a double bind and he resolves it eventually by transcending it. So to come back to your thing about money, what I'm suggesting is the way that you transcend this conflict of values that you're describing is through focusing on making the maximum contribution possible. Now, that doesn't, as you said correctly, you know, if you, if you try and make the maximum contribution possible with, as you described, uh, uh, what, was it, what was it you called it? Not Shangri-La, you said a kumbaya. kumbaya. Yeah, with, with a kumbaya attitude, money doesn't matter. That is an unnecessary belief that is interfering with making the biggest contribution possible. You don't have to believe that money doesn't matter. You just make the greatest contribution and let go of that belief. You also don't have to believe that money, 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 got to think about money, got to think about money, got to... You can, if you actually focus on making the greatest contribution and let go of unnecessary limiting ideas about money, in my experience, money will flow. Money will flow way more than you could possibly make happen on your own. Let me, can I just say one more thing about this and then maybe we... Please, because you know, I have to say I'm utterly enraptured by what you're saying. Okay. So let me, let me just tell you one thing about how I do my business. I have a website that you, where you can see you know, a little bit about what we do. It's called Radical Brilliance. And there's a drop-down menu and one of the items is Get Coached. So if you go to the Get Coached page, you can find out what Radical Brilliance Coaching is about. But nowhere are there any fees stated. You can't, you can't find anywhere on the web or in any printed document how much I charge for coaching. It's, it's not stated anywhere. And so if somebody applies for coaching, what I do is I, I go through the steps that I go through because it will illustrate in practical terms what we've been talking about. What I do is I look at the application and I find out, okay, am I, am I intrigued? Do I actually, do I feel a resonance just by reading the form? If I don't, I'll refer them to somebody else. I've got a lot of clients, like a lot of coaches who I can refer to. But if I feel a resonance, I'll arrange an interview and we'll have a talk. And during the interview, all I do is ask them questions about their vision. What is, if you live the most empowered, magnificent version of your life possible, what would that be? What is the greatest possible use you can think of for your life? And I'm not talking to them about how do you make more money or get more successful or get more famous, get a number one bestseller. I'm not talking about 
about what they can get for them. I'm asking them, what is the greatest, most generous contribution you can make for your life? And the more they tell me about that, I listen and I just find out how much am I resonating. So as I hear their vision, does it feel to me inspiring and noble? And does it feel to me like they're, 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 they're thinking like Einstein or thinking like, you know, like, like Lynn Twist? Are they thinking about, are they thinking generously? And if I feel enough resonance, I'll say to them, honestly, I'll say either, you know, I really resonate with what you're saying and I feel a connection or I'll say, you know, I think, I don't think I'm the best coach for you. And then I'll refer them to somebody else. I try to always refer them to somebody. But when, at no point in that do we talk about money. And then I tell them a little bit about how I coach. And so, so they understand how I could help them. And then I ask them, what is your budget? And they go, what do you mean? What's my budget? How much do you charge? I say, I don't have any, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any published fees. You tell me what's true for you, right? What is, what is it that's accurate for you about how they now they know what their vision is. They know exactly how I could help them. I spell it out, spell it out exactly what the relationship will look like. How many times we're going to meet? They can have my cell phone number. They can contact me anytime. I explain exactly how the relationship's going to work, and then I say, now what feels like the right amount? And they say, I've got no idea. I say, okay, well, write down any number. Just write down randomly. Write down a number. So they write down a number, and I say to them, don't show me. And I say, now look at the number. And tell me, is it too much or too little? And they look at the number like, oh, that's too little. I said, okay, now write down another number. So they write down another number. I said, now tell me, is it too much or too little? That's too much. So we might keep going like that for 10 minutes. And finally, they come to a figure. And they say, that's just right. It's not too much. It's not too little. And then I ask them to tell me, what is the sum? And they tell me the sum. And there's three possibilities. Either that I could not possibly coach somebody for that sum. It's ridiculously low. And then I'll say, no problem. So that's, that is your accurate budget. Don't worry about it. That's what's true for you. And I'll help you find somebody who can help you for that. If, if it's too low even for one-on-one -on -one coaching, we can put you into a, you know, an online course that you can afford. Uh, sometimes they say a sum and it's just right. It's, just, it's exactly the right sum. And I say, great, we can do it for that. Sometimes, and this happens quite frequently, people will tell me a sum that is more than I need. You know, it's just, it's just, I don't need an infinite amount of money. I've got a great life. So then I'll say, great, that's a good sum. That's a really good value you've placed upon the coaching. Now you can give half to me and half you can donate to a charity of your choice so that you create value. So, I, so by doing this, Nikki, I am helping people to define the outcome they want to create and to give it value that is meaningful to them. So they can't look back later and say, oh, this coaching was so expensive. They paid exactly what they decided to pay. But let me tell you one thing, okay? Let me tell you one thing. Through taking this approach, the clients I end up working with consistently offer me more money than I would be comfortable asking for, okay? And that's the way it should be with money, that People offer it to you. People give it to you. They say, great. I love you. I love what you're saying. I want to give you this money. He says, it's just like Christmas. You know, the whole thing about Christmas is you don't kind of go to Christmas, go, oh, I want gifts. I want more gifts. Everyone goes to give something and then everybody enjoys. If you go to Christmas, just thinking about what you can get, it just spoils it. So actually we want the relationship to be generous. The coach is generously giving support, generously, generously showering attention and well-wishing and support on their clients. And the client is generously giving money and everyone's giving. So I like my clients to decide the, 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 the kind of giving they're comfortable with and then I can say yes or no to it. So that approach works great for me. And as a result, I don't have to think about money. It's just not, you know, I mean, we just talked about oxygen, right? So you're, which city are you in? I think you're in Canada. Toronto. So, Toronto, right. So tell me, how many times today did you stop and worry about whether you're getting enough oxygen? Not once. What about this week? How many times this week did you stop and worry about getting enough oxygen? Not once. Okay. How many times this month or this year did you actually spend time trying to strategize how to get more oxygen? Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm, um, I'm training for the 2020 Masters track and field games. I'm going to run in the 100 meters. And I'm training right. with a man who's an Olympic gold medalist. And when we do some of our trainings, uh, 
I'm breathing pretty heavily and I'm sometimes thinking I need to get more air in my lungs. But it's not often. Not often. And you don't actually worry that there's not enough No, I don't. But I'm like, I need to breathe. (laughs) Okay. So you see, money is like that. There is plenty of money in circulation. There is tons and tons of money floating around looking for someone to give it to. And the people who get that money are the ones who offer quality service. Now, of course, you're right. If you hold a completely unnecessary, unconscious belief that there's something wrong with money or it's not spiritual or I don't deserve it, you need to clear those beliefs. But to actually chase after it, in my opinion, is counterproductive. It's, it would be like walking around all day worrying about how to get enough oxygen. It's not a problem. Just forget about the oxygen. Just go about your day. There is plenty of oxygen for everybody. And in the same way, if you are a coach and you have really, truly dedicated your life to serving people, if you have really, truly dedicated your life to making a difference, you will get paid. You will. If you let go of your negative beliefs around money, you will get paid. But if you lead your life constantly thinking about how can I get more for me, more for me, more for me, I want more, I want more, you're not going to be attractive to the kind of clients who want to pay you. Arjuna, I got to tell you, you're my ninth interview today. Today's a heavy podcast recording day for me. Uh. And, you know, that's a lot of interviews in one day to, uh. to conduct, right? And um, I not only am not tired, I'm completely energized by this conversation. Cool, cool. Um, you are a thought leader's thought leader. So I just wanted to tell you that. I really, really appreciate the clarity of thought that you've brought to this conversation mm. and, and also how unique and original your intellectual property around the subject of attracting money is. Mm. I'm absolutely fascinated and floored mm. by it. And, mm. I, and I, I want to say something to you. I right now have about four coaches. Mm. And um, I didn't think right now that I needed another coach. <laughs> I even signed up for a peer group, but I'd like to go through the process with you if you'd honor <laughs> me by allowing me to do it. Because I've got a bit of a mission that I want to accomplish at a higher level and I'd like to go through the process with you if you'd allow me to. Well, let's 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 have a let's have a private conversation about that. You know, I take I, these things very seriously, Nikki. Yeah, I and, get it. I get it. I get and, it. And um it's got to you know, make sense. It's got to make sense, but well, I got to tell you, I have not felt this way in any conversation I've had with anybody in any of my interviews. Oh, but I, I'd li- I, I just want you to know, I've interviewed Seth Godin, I've interviewed Raymond, I've interviewed John Assaroff. I've interviewed some people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I hear you. Wow. Well, listen. listen wow. Uh, At the very opinion. least, we should have a conversation offline. That's sure, all I'm of asking. Of course, yeah. yeah. And what I'll just say to you, because it will also be, you know, perhaps useful to listeners, is uh, I'd love to have a conversation about that. And if it is... I'm going to use a little bit esoteric language, okay? Because I don't really, I don't think there is quite the right English language to say this. So I'm going to switch to another language, if you don't mind. If it is in the Tao of things for me to support you, if it is in the Dharma for me to, those are are Chinese. If it is in the right flow of things for me to be your support, it would be my honor to do so. But it's important. We're not going to force it. I agree. Yeah, it's important to surrender and this is where we get into radical brilliance. It's really important that we surrender ourselves to the flow of things, to the, to the right flow of things. And of course, absolutely, Nikki, if I can support you to make more difference to people, uh, I have no choice. I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I get have, it. I, I totally no get it. Listen, it's, yeah. it's powerful that you say this, but um, I'm looking for a new house. My two boys uh, share a room right now, and they need their own bedrooms. And... Um, I have a wonderful lady in my life. I actually work with her as well. So, you know, she, she, she may or may not want to uh, be part of the house right now. We've been talking about it. There's a part of her that wants to do it. There's another part of her that really loves having her own space, which I get. Mm. But we saw a house mm. uh, a couple of days ago, and my mm. kids loved it. I loved it. Mm. But we hadn't had a chance to let Teresa uh, take a look at it, so we weren't prepared to make an offer. And this gentleman said he was – accepting offers the very next day. And 
And, you know, I just said, I, there's a part of me that was like starting to get tense, going, oh, we should put it in software. We got to get it. And another part of me is like, calm down. Mm. If this is meant to be, it's going to flow to me. And if it's not, it's not the right place. And yeah. it wasn't meant to be. Someone else bought it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And yeah. I, I thank God for allowing this house to go to someone who wants and needs it. And I trust yeah. God to bring me and my boys Mm. And my lady, if she wants to join us, the perfect house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, know what do you know what I found is the best way to lubricate what you've just said, you know, to lubricate the right things happening, is to live in a constant spirit of overwhelming gratitude, you know, but, but gratitude for what you've already got, not what you still want, you know. So for me, it's fairly easy because... I mean, it's, it's not very difficult to feel gratitude with my life because it's just so ridiculously rich. I mean, it's just, I pinch myself. But I just noticed that the, the fertilizer that causes good things to happen is gratitude for what you've already got, you know? It's a strange thing, you know, that, that desire for something more, and this, of course, is very kind of contrary to the law of attraction and everything, but desire for something more actually accentuates a feeling of not enough. Gratitude for what you already have becomes like magnetic to blessing. I had, I, my wife and I, well, just here's one thing. I mean, just here's one thing. I'm married, you know, and for 16 years and I, I'm absolutely clear that as far as I'm concerned, I am married to the most beautiful, most awake, most humorous, most sexy, mo the best woman that's ever lived, not just alive today, that's ever lived in all of history. And that feeling in me is so strong, I'm just brought to tears every day with gratitude that I get to be with this woman. So that alone is a lot, you know. But then the house we live in and the, you know, and everything, it's just amazing. And but what I've noticed, so we, we, my wife and I, we went for lunch with another couple and we sat down and I think it was soon, it was, it was a few months ago, it was soon after the new year. And my, the man of the couple said to me, so what do you want to, you know, what do you want to manifest? What do you want to create? What's your net? What's your next big dream? And I said, you know, I am so blown away by what I've been given already. I just can't imagine anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like my life is indescribably perfect. And the only way, the only actual decent response I can imagine to life being this good is to, to look for ways to contribute. But the ironic thing is that the more you feel blown away and grateful for the life you have, actually the more space there is for even more to be given to you. So it keeps getting better the more you're grateful for what you have. Wow. You know, every morning I write in a gratitude journal. Mm, good. Mm. And I write down between 10 to 12 things I'm grateful for. Mm. And I write about six to eight people in my life mm. and one one attribute that they have that I'm grateful for. Mm. And I write about some things that have already happened and I write about some things that I'm, I have not yet manifested. Mm. But I'll tell you, I re and I review this list every evening before I go to bed. Mm. And then I have another book so it's 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 a I call it a brag book, and this one of my coaches, Mark von Muser, uh, had me start writing in this. And every day I write down three things that I'm proud of. They 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 may have happened years ago, they may have happened today, but I write down three Great. things I'm proud of. Mm. And this just has been building these reference points and this infrastructure of happiness mm. and gratitude. And yeah, and so. I'm, I'm 50 years old, and, mm. and sometimes I, I rail against being 50, and I train like I'm a 22-year-old Olympic hopeful, you know what I mean? And I get yeah. hurt because of it, right? Because mm. my body's not 22 anymore. But one of the things I write every day in my gratitude book is how grateful I am to be pain-free in all these areas that have had injuries. And you know what? My injuries go away ridiculously quickly, Arjuna. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's yeah. so I really you love you what are. you're saying. It's yeah. brilliant and beautiful. So you have this book, Radical Brilliance. Mm-hmm. And I want you to talk about the book, why you mm. wrote it, and mm. what you intend for this book to cause mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. So the book is really uh, well, first of all, I need to acknowledge that I didn't write the book. The book dictated itself to me. So uh, imagine, imagine, Nikki, that I come to Toronto and I stay at your house, right? Maybe uh, I stay in your house. And, uh, as soon as I go- buy the new one, my friend, I'll invite you over. Okay. So you, so you see, yeah. So you go out for the day in your car and I stay home and the phone rings, right? So I pick up the phone. I say, hello, Nikki's house. And they say, yeah, could you take a message? And I go, sure, sure. Let me just get a paper and a pen. Okay. What's the message? And so this voice on the other end of the phone dictates this message, which is about, you know, four or five lines. So I write it all down. I say, okay, I read it back. I got the message. Thank you. And I put the phone down and I leave this message by the phone for you. And then you come home in the evening and you walk over to the phone, you read this thing, and you look up and you say, Arjuna, you are the most incredible poet who has ever lived. Your words are like honey. And I say to you, no, Nikki, I didn't write that. I just took a message, right? So I can't claim any responsibility for the beauty of the poetry on the paper. I just wrote down the message. And this book came in that way. It came after I had a car accident. I had a really serious car accident where actually logically I could have, should have died. You know, it was really that kind of accident. It was a high impact accident. The car was completely destroyed, but somehow I wasn't. But it did throw me into a kind of state of shock. You know, it takes a while for the body to recover from that kind of impact. And while, and so I just actually had to stay in a dark room. I was in, in completely, my body was really in deep trauma. And during this, these weeks where I was in reclusion, this, it kind of revealed itself to me, but not coherently, not like A, B, C, D. It just in little fragments, it's revealed itself such that I hardly noticed what was happening. It just, it just, it was like something out of focus, slowly coming into focus, a, a, an understanding of how things work. And then I was obliged, I didn't really want to, but I was obliged to travel because I had a a, a course set up in Greece that I couldn't cancel. It was a huge deposit involved. We'd rented a whole, you know, seminar center in Greece. So I flew to Greece and there were all the people there for for the retreat. And I started to teach. I started to teach this material that had come, that had come while I was in this dark room. And it came out completely coherently and totally made sense. And the more that we examined it and tested it, the more true it, but it was like discovering sacred geometry. So that was how the book came. But not only is that how the book came, but the book is about that. (laughs) The book is about how you can kind of step out of the way so that brilliance can flow through you. And actually, if you really check it out objectively, if you examine the lives of really great people, including Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, you know, the list is long. If you examine the lives of really great people, they talk about getting into a state where you can be available for a wisdom to come through you that is not available when you're busy and when, you're, when your mind is very kind of doing oriented, you become small, you become limited by your mind and by your desires and fears. But when you sort of relax beyond that, something can emerge through you. So Radical Brilliance is really a very, very practical handbook on how to live your life that way. Wow. You know, I just got my copy of it yesterday. Mm. Oh, right. And um, I haven't had a chance to read it, but I am a voracious reader. Mm. Last year, I read 82 books. Mm. And my goal this year is to at least match that. Mm. So I'm going to read this book. I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've and, I, and I think... I think we sent you a link to the Audible edition too, right? So you can listen to it as well if you prefer. I love reading a hard copy book. That's right. my preferred way of consuming books because right. I do podcasts and I listen to a bunch of podcasts. It's just my preference is to just read the book. And I find that I absorb a lot more that way. But thank you. That's very kind of you. Mm. This book 
in this conversation have affected me profoundly. And I know that they're affecting my listener profoundly, you know? Mm. So before we get to the wrap-up phase of what we're doing, I want to ask you not a last question, but maybe a second or third last question. Mm. We here at eCircle, we are big fans of thought leadership. And mm-hmm. we, we believe that to help a coach or a consultant grow their business, we need to help them tap into their innate experience and turn them into thought leaders, mm-hmm. right? And we say there's five pillars of thought leadership. I'd like to just review them with you and get your comments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one is to be a thought leader, you need to think mm-hmm. and you need to turn your thoughts into intellectual property that's unique, that's mm-hmm. world-class, and that makes a difference for people. Mm-hmm. Second pillar is you need to have clarity in terms of who your audience is and in terms of what your message is. You need to know what you're saying as a result of uh, your intellectual property, and you need to know who cares about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Number three, you can't be stuck in a sea of sameness. Mm-hmm. Dr. Nito Kubain, who's a good friend of Raymond's that he introduced me to, I had him on the podcast, said that for you to, to, to live a successful life, mm-hmm. you need to find out what makes you unique and you need to be in the oasis of differentiation and not stuck in the sea of sameness. Mm-hmm. Number four, you need to learn how to leverage your IP. So mm-hmm. you can't just deliver it in one way, be it one-on-one coaching or speaking or writing or mm-hmm. retreats, or et cetera. You need to leverage your IP across multiple modes of delivery. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, hashtag don't do 2018 alone. You can't do it alone. You need mentors. You need peer groups. Mm-hmm. I like your comments on these five pillars of thought leadership. Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, uh, what sort of comment would you, would you look for? I mean, that sounds... I want to know what you think, and I want to know how you've applied them yourself, if you have. Mm. Certainly, I get, I get uh, well, say, just, just I, I didn't write them down, so just give me the code, give me one word for each one. And I can IP, world-class IP. Clarity okay. of market and and and, uh, and message. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let me let me comment one by one. So, sure. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely unique IP. I mean, having something to say that's not been said before. Yes. Uh, having it um, in in many different forms. Absolutely yes. Because not everybody wants to read. Some people want to watch videos. Some many different forms. Yes. Getting mentored, absolutely. I like you. I get mentored and coached all the time. What What am I missing? Then there's clarity of your message and clarity on who your audience is, who absolutely. cares about your message. Absolutely. Well, we already talked about avatars earlier. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. No. So there's one piece, I guess, that you know, all of. I don't have any argument with any of that. That sounds all good. So what I would add, and I think what the book would add is the question of where do thoughts come from, mm. okay? All right, so thoughts, we, you know, we talk about thought, everyone, thought, 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 but thought, it's like we don't often stop and ask, well, what exactly is a thought, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, we, we know what a flower is, we know what a car is, we know what a, you know, we know what an ice cream is, but what exactly is a thought? You know, what is it? You can't really see it, so what is a thought? And I'm going to, for the sake of brevity, because we have limited time, I'm just going to answer that question and say, I would say a thought is basically a vibration, right? It's a, because it doesn't have any solid form. It's a vibration. And a thought is not exactly in your brain. What I mean by that is you can't dissect the brain and take out a thought. You can't, you won't be able to dissect the brain and find thoughts. A thought is a, is a something that's happening in consciousness, right? Now, in the book, and this is really what's I think going to make what's going to be a contribution to what you're saying, in the book, there's a central distinction made right at the beginning of the book between two very different kinds of thought, which look the same on the surface. They look exactly the same on the surface because they both of them are events in consciousness that lead to speech and action and, and, and results. But the source of each is completely and utterly different. Okay. One kind of thought is basically a repetition 
or a regurgitation of something that has been experienced. Okay, so that would be rather like playing a what's it called when you do a song written by somebody else? You, what do they call that? You do a, you know, you do a cover. Cover, yeah. So that kind of thought would be like doing a cover of a Leonard Cohen song. I, I happen to particularly like Leonard Cohen, and you're in that part of the world. So um, he was in Montreal, but that would like be playing a cover. You know, you didn't write the song; you're just playing something that you've heard. And honestly, most thoughts are like that. Most thoughts are regurgitations or repetitions of what we have heard. Uh, and that's so when you read something and repeat it or whatever, and the, the book gives you lots of examples, there's another kind of thought which is much more rare. And that's a thought that arises out of silence. It's like a, a, it's like a fine vibration in stillness that increases in its amplitude until it becomes something that can be written or sung or drawn or, you know, until it becomes an idea. And that kind of thought requires a much greater capacity to manage your state, you see, because, you know, people talk about estate management, you know, something to do with real estate. I specialize not in estate management, but in state management, managing your state so that if you learn how to manage your state through the right kind of practices, you can become really good at not all the time, but when you need to, accessing the thought, the source from which original brilliant thoughts arise, thoughts that have never been thought before, that become statements that have never been said before, that become ways of seeing things that have never been seen before, that become actions that have never been taken before. And that is brilliance. And that is... Actually, that is pretty much exactly what I help my clients do. I help them source from something beyond their own mind because the mind, you see, basically it's just the storage of regurgitation. So if you access thought from within the mind, all you can do is regurgitate and rearrange what you've heard before. In order to, in order to have what I would call radical brilliance, you need to have the capacity to access a source of intelligence beyond your mind. And that gets us into... That gets us into playing in the understanding of consciousness. And it actually gets us into what has traditionally been thought of as mysticism. Now, this is not a kind of spiritual, mystical thing, but it does require us to access certain technologies that have been, that have been stewarded in those traditions to be able to use these technologies to be able to access a source of brilliance which is beyond the personal, which, which comes through you, not from you. So that's what I would add anyway, is all of the tools you've, you've mentioned are great. I wouldn't argue with any of them and they're all in the book. But what, the, the piece that I'd like to add is being able to differentiate between a repeating thought and an original thought. I love that. Differentiate between a repeating thought and an original thought. That's powerful stuff. So Arjuna, Mm. We end off Thank every you. episode yeah. by asking you, our guest, mm -hmm. for your top three expert action steps. Mm -hmm. You've given us a lot of gold already, mm -hmm. but what are your top three expert action steps to help our listener enhance their life and grow their business? Okay. Number one, it's going to come as a shock to you. Okay. It's not, I'm sure it's, I doubt that any of your guests have given this before. Maybe they have. I would say the number one most effective action step to do what you've suggested is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that's new. Nothing. To actually have time in your day devoted to no thing. And I don't want to call that meditation because meditation becomes a thing. You know, it's something you do. What I mean is have time in your day which is actually devoted to a curiosity about and a reverence for nothing. So the way to do that, I like to do it first thing in the morning. And I, I get up very, very early. I get up at four in the morning. The first thing that happens for me is I put on a blindfold. And the reason I put on a blindfold or a sleep mask is so if the eyes are open or closed, it doesn't matter. It's equally dark. And I just sit there. I, and I'm not practicing anything. I'm not trying to change anything. I'm just sitting there. And there's a magic that happens in that because in just sitting and not interfering in any way, just observing, first thing is you notice 
the kind of buzzing, static, nervous activity which we all have. And in noticing it, a lot of that buzzing, static, nervous activity, it is the contraction that prevents you from giving your gift and from making money. So you just become aware of this underlying static. But as you just relax and just let that be, you become that which is aware. And this is something that we hardly ever focus on. You become that which is aware of thoughts and feelings. That which is aware of thoughts and feelings is mysterious. It, it is, it's real, it exists, but we could call it consciousness or awareness. And that has infinite energy. And that is the source from which all original brilliant ideas arise. So I sit like that. Then I do some other stuff with my body and stuff. And what it means is by the time you do engage with your activity, you are in the prime state to be able to be a vehicle for something original and brilliant and kind and loving and generous and something which can change the game for everybody. So that's step number one, okay? That's step number one. Step number two, you wanted three things that you can really, that can really help you grow your business, right? Yeah, and enhance your life. And enhance your life. Well, let's, let me do one for the, for the grow your business because I know that you did mention that. So number two then, I would say, would be really get incredibly defined and, and, and clear about exactly who your clients are. Like, think about how many clients do you want to have at one time? I only work with seven people a year, right? I only work one-on-one with seven people a year because I work with people on an ongoing basis and I can't, I can't, I can't divert my attention to more than seven people or I lose track. So I work with seven people a year. So you decide for yourself, whoever's listening, how many people can you actually hold in your consciousness and, and then really define them, get really, really, really clear. Who are they? What are they like? What do they want to do with their lives? Just fill in every possible blank. You're not going to get exactly the people you're, you imagine, but it, it is like, it's like posting a letter. When you do that, if you post a letter, these are the people that I want to serve that will, that will boomerang back to you and you will in time, you will get those clients. The third thing you were talking about enhancing your life. The third thing that I'm tempted to say buy my book, but that's maybe cheating. So the third, that's for me to do when we're done. <laughs> I know I'm just being cheeky. The third thing I think would be to have some kind of a way to become aware of the insanity of your mind and to dissolve it. Most, I would say most of us, we, we put way too much trust in the mind and we overlook how fragmented it is, how much it's contradicting itself all the time and how limited it is, it is in what it understands. So if you simply divorce a little bit from your mind and regard it as an, un, regard your mind and your thinking process as a kind of untrustworthy sabotage mechanism to your real gift, the more that you view your mind with suspicion, like a used car salesman, the more you get a little distance from it and that will allow something deeper and more abiding and more sane and conscious to breathe through you. Wow. These are awesome expert action steps. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. listener, Arjuna Arda is the real deal. His book, Radical Brilliance, is going to be filled with gold. Here's what I recommend. Don't buy one copy. Buy five copies. One for you and four to hand out as gifts to the people you care about members of your family, friends, clients, coworkers. This man is the real deal, and what he is here to reveal to you can change your life. So make sure that you do this. Go to RadicalBrilliance.com, go to Amazon, pick up five copies of the book for yourself and hand them out to people. I'm going to be buying a bunch of copies of this book myself for my clients. I believe it's going to make a massive difference for them. And Arjuna, we've got four major events that we do for our top-level mastermind clients a year. We've had uh, other people do a Zoom presentation for them. Perhaps we can chat offline and we can buy a whole bunch of your books and maybe you can tell these folks about the uh, uh the wonderful work that you're doing with Radical Brilliance. And who knows, some of those folks may be inspired to call you and find out more about it. And they're an audience of professional coaches and consultants, so they're the right people. Um, 
Anything I can do to help, uh, I'm honored, Nikki. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We'll definitely speak about all that good stuff offline. And listener, if you're listening to this and you're wondering to yourself, could I be like Arjuna? Could I grow my business in this effortless way and have incredible IP that's sought after by people? And the answer to that question is, yes, of course you can. And the best way to figure out how is for you to go to our website, ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment and jump on a success call with myself or a member of my team. You can also go to ecircleacademy.com and click on the book your success call now button in the top right-hand corner. Either way works great. Arjuna Arda, it has been an honor to have you as a guest on my show. Thank you so much for teaching me and teaching my listener from your deep wellspring of wisdom. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's really, really been a pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up another amazing episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, Arjuna Arda, go to radicalbrilliance.com. That's going to be in the show notes to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com and To find out how you can grow your business, go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Book your success call. It's absolutely free. There is no obligation. We are here to serve you to your dream. Until next time, goodbye.